Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome back to the Umrepreneur Podcast. You guys know that I try to bring you the best guests possible and this episode is one that I'm really looking forward to because I have with me brother Abdullah who is a actually a business and time management consultant. Specifically, he focuses on productivity. So we have a lot to talk about today to help you optimize your day and optimize your time and how you can make the most of every hour, inshallah ta'ala. Abdullah, assalamu alaikum. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's a great honor. Thank you so much for hosting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, man. And if you can share with our guests a little bit about you specifically and your background and what you do before we dive into our topics today. Yeah, sure. No problem. So I'm um, originally from Egypt. However, I was born and bred in the UK, mm -hmm. um, London specifically. Um, alhamdulillah. Um, I wouldn't say my upbringing is different to anyone else's. Not that special either, just the average um, upbringing, you can say. So I went to school as everyone else did, went through sixth form, uh, currently at university. So alhamdulillah, pretty standard upbringing. And um, throughout the process, obviously, um, I would have had to fend for myself at certain times. However, alhamdulillah, I wouldn't say I grew up in a house which was uh, struggling financially or anything, nor was we well off as well. So pretty standard upbringing, alhamdulillah. Um, I do have seven siblings. So obviously quite a big household, uh, trying to fight for attention and whatnot when you're young. Um, Where did you then, fall in that, that, in that category? Sorry, like in the seven, because I, I come from a family of six and I'm the youngest. Oh so God. I'm curious. I'm third youngest. So I had some responsibility to look after, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I was looked after as well. Mashallah. Amazing. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Um, also, because I'm a boy, um, although I have older sisters, you kind of take on some responsibility, even though they're older than you, um, being a man and whatnot and um, having responsibilities and whatnot. But alhamdulillah, overall, it wasn't too demanding upon me. Um, and it was, anything, if anything, it was more fun than I would say challenging or anything. So generally, alhamdulillah, quite a standard and fun upbringing. Some challenges that do come up just as everyone uh, experiences challenges. However, um, alhamdulillah, nothing out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah. Got it. So what led you towards, you know, diving into entrepreneurship, becoming a business and time management consultant, focusing on productivity, because, you know, entrepreneurs are not born, they are made. And so I'm sure at some point in your life, you had a certain path that you were going down and you had, you came to a crossroads where there was either the opportunity to continue going down that path or then shift gears and move towards entrepreneurship. Can you tell us about that moment and what led you to gravitate towards entrepreneurship? Okay, so generally I was, I've always been interested in business. Um, it's been something I've been doing since young. So I used to buy and trade cards. So when I was young, I would buy um, match attacks. Um, I'm not sure if you know what they are, but in the UK, they were big because football is very big. And they're basically okay. football player cards and whatnot. And I would purchase them and then I'd resell them um, because I used to have a big collection and I'd sell them maybe £10, £20. I wouldn't do that too often, but trade was in me. So I was always interested in some form of trade. And then when I went to school, uh, secondary school I used to buy and sell food or like snacks and I'd make like a little deal um, drink crisp chocolate for a pound which was like a bargain because I'd go to the wholesalers and whatnot again I didn't do that long term my work ethic was something which I never had when I was young so I'd always give up immediately I'd make a bit of money feel satisfied I'm good and so whatnot um, however as I started studying business I was completely put off because of the way we was taught business in secondary school and in sixth form it, it looked too complicated. They told us we need to do our accounts. We need to do 
hire employees. We need to find this and we need to find that. So I said, I've never been a businessman. I'm an employee. My taxes are sorted for me. Everything is sorted for me. All I need to do is just get a degree and everything's done for me. Uh, yeah. The office, I don't need to pay for. I have no costs. My main costs are whatever my living costs are and nothing else. So I was completely put off. So the idea kind of fell from me. So between the ages of 16 to 19, I was just working um, in a catering place. In fact, I was working in this catering place until about the age of 21, um, 22 to be specific. Um, and I just work a part-time job. Mm -hmm. However, around the age of 18, I took on a second job. And I took on this job because I was like, I really need to start making money because I was interested in getting married. So mm -hmm. marriage isn't cheap in the West specifically. Yeah. And to be fair, marriage isn't really easy anyway in general right now in the world that we live in today is very, very difficult. So I was like, I'm not waiting until university to get a job that can pay off my my marriage and everything, meaning the mahar, the wedding, the and, and, and everything else that comes with it. So I needed a lot of money. So I said, where am I going to get this money? I took on a second job and I worked literally until I just couldn't work no more. So I was working 80 hour weeks, two jobs. Wow. And I was like, sure. there needs to be a way to come out of this. There has to be a system. And what happened was I was during one of my breaks, I saw an ad from uh, someone who sells courses and whatnot. And basically there was a typical Facebook ad and whatnot. I signed up. Um, unfortunately, I felt like I was, I, I don't want to use the word scam because it's not really a scam, but more so I was deceived in the way it was marketed. I felt like I was going to get utmost help and everything. So I signed up to it and I realized that um, it's not that interesting and I'm not really going to get what I need from it. And it was a waste of money. However, it led on to me realizing um, that there are ways to make money. Yeah. So I bought another course and now this course was again very similar but one thing and it was really good this course here wasn't a facebook one it was basically to teach you how to market whatever skill you have mm -hmm. again i didn't get the help i needed but one thing inspired me in this uh, was that someone in the group chat and maybe you're aware of how the uh course industry works when someone does a sale or something they post it in the facebook chat on the telegram chat wherever and they show off to everyone so then that helps other people remain motivated mm -hmm. so one person posted their monthly revenue which was fifty thousand dollars so i was intrigued i was like that's a lot of money the person i think was only in there for maybe two months that's really good revenue i was wondering what did he do so what he did was he sold um people a service of how they could make friends i was flabbergasted because in the uk specifically especially in london you're quite social making friends is a standard thing so i said how is this person selling such a basic skill and then i realized there's a solution there's a problem. Um, there's many problems that exist, not in your life, but in other people's life. And there's a solution for it. And you can be a solution. And then I realized one of the biggest industries are is the dating industry. Well, alhamdulillah, we don't date as Muslims. However, it's the fact that people out there pay business, um, dating coaches and it's one of the million dollar industries. So I said, yeah. what can I sell that actually benefits people and is uh, valuable at the same time? And then I noticed we have a time management issue in today's society. So from there, I began um, building the business. However, I didn't want to take their marketing point of view of it. So I ignored everything they basically taught me. And I said, I want to build this business upon hopefully sincerity and care. So I don't want to just market things and make people appear like they have problems and then sell it to them. And then they realize it's not a scam, but a bit deceiving, let's say. 
And that's kind of where the idea come from uh, for the business. Wow. SubhanAllah. Well, you know what you mentioned in, in part of that journey, one of the things that you mentioned that for me stood out and that I think a lot of people might listen to and miss is that your initial investment in a course, as you mentioned, while it didn't provide you maybe with the support or the training that you need, it made you have a realization that it was possible. And I think that realization in itself was worth whatever money you invested a hundred percent because yeah, every, everything that I even kind of look back at all the investments that I've made in my own journey through entrepreneurship. And I'm sure you're very aware at the stage that you're at right now, I'm guessing even the course you're talking about is probably not the only course you've invested in and it won't be the last, right? Um, I mean, myself, I'm continuously investing in mentorship. I've gone through dozens of courses and I continue to this day. And every single one, while it might not give me initially what I expected out of it, every single one has given me something. Even if it's a shift in belief, even if it's a lesson learned and those lessons are valuable. And I think looking back and hearing your story and how even though it didn't deliver what you were looking for, but it made you believe that it was possible. That for me is incredibly valuable, to be honest. No, I totally, 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 totally agree. So that point where I mentioned I saw the 50 grand by someone teaching someone how to make friends, that eye opener was when I realized because the course was free grand, uh, 3000 pounds in English. Um, yeah, I was like, and by the way, when you're a student, that's like your life savings. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like here putting all my savings into this so i'm like dreaded but then i was like that as you literally said inspired me and that inspiration hope not hopefully did lead to alhamdulillah this business so i cannot complain completely but just from a obviously from a logical standpoint and just looking at it from eye to eye it was it wasn't worth it but then when you go and you think about it it definitely was worth it in that sense and even the first course the first course taught me because it was by it was by someone um, who was a Muslim, it taught me, you know what, you need to be sincere in your business and you need to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying what he taught me was wrong, but the way it was, the way I signed up to the course was you sign up and you basically get no help. If I tried to contact him, it wasn't, there was no availability. So what it taught me was make sure you don't repeat that process when you make your course. So then people don't think that you're just another um, Amazon FBA seller or, um, yeah. as, as you know, or a crypto seller and whatnot. No, you're actually there. Maybe you're giving people their time if you can, or if not, just making it clear that, you know what, this is not part of the service. And if you want this, then this, then it's an add-on fee. Mm-hmm. So Alhamdulillah, as you said, those small things were worth the investment and their life lessons. And some life lessons are more expensive than others. Some are free and some are paid for. And these, yeah. and this was one of the lessons that I had to pay for. And as you said, it was worth it. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. And, um, you know, when you look at like the journey of entrepreneurship and, and kind of what you go through, I think as you start to grow your business, you start to become a little bit more immune to investing in yourself and you start to really see it as a tool that can help you grow further. And I think initially it's like, as you mentioned, it's like that in first 3000, 3000 into your first course is like your life savings. And it's like, people think about it. Like, you know, they spend days, weeks thinking about it. Should I do it? Should I not? Should I do this? And then like when you become an entrepreneur, you're like, oh, okay, this is something I need to learn. Let me get this course. Oh, there's something I need to learn. Let me find a mentor for that and like see if I can I can acquire that skill. And it just becomes normal to invest in yourself. And I think it's it, there's like a shift in perspective that happens, but it requires it requires over time, as you mentioned, that experience of going through the ups and downs, but always taking a lesson learned from it. One thing that I really appreciate about you specifically when I was looking at your business and your social media is that 
you have a, a common theme that I really enjoy. You know, you have the kind of very dark, calming aesthetic that you that you have in all of your uh, in all of your reels. And there's just kind of like this vibe that you know, if I'm looking at something that you put out, I can tell like, okay, this was done by Abdullah, right? There's like this unique touch. And one of those things as well is your face mask. And I told you I'm going to ask you about this. So I'm going to put you on the spot today. And not only just ask you about kind of like what inspired you to go towards this aesthetic, but also what's the purpose behind the face mask? Tell me about that. Great question. Um, I actually get this asked a lot and I was advised against it, obviously. And um, when I initially started out mm-hmm. um, and whatnot, I really, really um, fear fame, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm really confident in myself. So I knew when I started out this business, because Alhamdulillah, I believe in a Lord who has unlimited ability. I cannot limit my ability when I'm asking from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who's unlimited in his ability. So I knew, I knew that inshallah, I'm going to be someone who's known for for their work. Because I know inshallah, with Allah's help, I have unlimited ability with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help. So I knew inshallah, I'm going to be known and I'm going to be recognized. And my business will become slowly, slowly will become vast, whether it's in a year, whether it's in 10 years. I love that. Just that belief in itself, bro. Is That's like, that's probably like 90% of why, why you're successful already, but keep going. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just that belief is so important. Mashallah. And because of that, I knew I needed to wear a face mask because I don't like fame. However, in business, there's compromises. So I knew that I can't be off social media completely. And I needed an element of how can I compromise by wearing a face mask but having it be acceptable? So I branded my face masks. So then people are like, okay, cool. Maybe it's a brand. Maybe it's a thing. And at the time when I actually started, it was COVID. So it was acceptable. So initially it was acceptable. Now it's getting questioned a lot more. So I, I, I get a lot of questions right now. And it's a bit more, you can say, obscure um, or a bit more strange. Yeah. Um, but alhamdulillah, I've managed to maintain it. But yeah, I don't. I didn't want to be known. And um, obviously, you can still recognize me. I'm sure if you met me in person, you'd be like, oh, wait, you're, you're wearing represent or because re- the represent is quite big as well, the jumper, um, the logo and whatnot. So if you saw me in person, you might be able to recognize me by my hair, my eyes, uh, my features. But the fact that I'm wearing a face mask will make you think he probably doesn't want to be approached, which is another thing I didn't want to happen. Because as I said, if I'm now, hopefully, um, I want to start YouTube and I want to go become more out there, I want to maintain that privacy as well. Um, and I don't want to be questioned in public. I'll give you all my time online. If anyone asks me questions, as they know, I'll give them all my time. Um, my clients, alhamdulillah, I'll give them all my time. But when I'm off work, I really do want to be off work. There's also another reason, and I don't want to go too much in depth into this reason, just inshallah, just out of to preserve, hopefully, some sincerity to it. But hopefully one day, this business will go above and beyond me, and I can have other people manage it, and I'll still be involved. But I want to be involved in a different way, and maybe that time I'll be able to show my face. And when I do, I just rather it not be connected to my initial phase because right now I'm one person and hopefully through my transition in Iman, seeking nearness to Allah and everything, I can become a different person. So I do not want to be someone who has been recognized one way, who has made mistakes. And then when I become hopefully this person who I'm transitioning into, I'm not recognized as the same and they connect the two. And then they use my hope, my possible past mistakes to bring down hopefully my new phase or who i'm going to be in the future and i don't want to connect the two because there's hopefully other things i'm working on in the background whereby i'm developing myself in different ways so i don't want them to connect the two characters 
although they're not actually um, contradicting, they actually coincide. But this character cannot come out yet until it reaches its certain stage. So again, that's another reason why I like to hide myself from the scenes and everything. And um, again, I try to do it with a lot of, um, I try to do it with a lot of um, uh, professionalism. So I don't want to just look like I'm someone who's masked out or someone who's looking a bit um, like they're from a gang or something. No, I tried my best to, you know, market it in a certain way whereby I have my branding on it. I'll try even have color coordination. So I wear different masks depending on the jumper I'm wearing just to kind of make it a bit more comfortable for the person. And um, yeah, Alhamdulillah, I would say that's generally the reason. Alhamdulillah. So, dude, there's so much that I want to follow up with you on that. So tell me, you, through everything that you say and everything that you just said right now, you seem to be like someone who's very future focused and oriented. Is that part of your perspective on just how to be as productive as possible? Does that tie to the methodology or framework that you teach your students and the way that you like to live? Can you shed some light on that? Okay. Um, yes and no. So yes, in the sense whereby I believe, firstly, to live day by day is extremely important. Hence the name, obviously, day by day. Um, however, yes, in the sense whereby I genuinely believe you need to look at the future um, as much as you can, just because that's where you're heading. And if the future is not prepared for, or you're not prepared for it, then when life changes or when new things occur, you won't know how to adapt to it. And on the other hand, you won't know how to develop because there's nothing you're going towards. Mm -hmm. And I believe we're only as big as our imagination. So if I hopefully, let's just say someone right now, I'll give you a few examples. One person imagines themselves to be a doctor. They will start taking the necessary steps to be a doctor because they saw they visualize being a doctor. If that idea doesn't occur in the first place, they won't take the steps towards it. If now you visualize yourself even bigger, let's just say, let's just say you want to be a scholar of Islam, which takes years and years. One, because you have to purify your heart as much as you can. So then you're as sincere as possible. So when people are asking you questions, you're doing it for the sake of uh, giving the right answer and not because maybe they're here to praise you or give you um, a status or whatnot. And obviously because of the study and you'd need to know as much knowledge as possible. So you're able to give the best possible answer without contradicting hadiths or Quran, you know, the uh, ayats and everything. So if you don't visualize it early on, it becomes a lot harder when you do begin to visualize it because you're like, oh, wait, now I visualize it. Now I know what steps I need to take. And same with entrepreneurship. There's a lot of steps until you go into it. You don't know the steps you need to take. And those steps you won't take at all in the first place if you haven't visualized to be in the first place. So I do believe thinking in the future is extremely important. And I think of this future person I intend to be, and I think of myself now, and I do believe your present can ruin your future. In and what some What do you mean by that? Okay, I believe if you have a certain reputation, some things can, uh, can, can ruin the future. I'll give you an example. Um, the ulama of a hadith, they do not take, they would, they would, if, if someone used to be a sinner, but then repented, and then he began, began narrating a hadith, it didn't affect his hadith, his, his weakness, or the, or the strength of the hadith. However, if this person was a liar, or ever lied on Muhammad even though it was in his past, that stained his um, reputation for the rest of his life. Meaning, he, if we ever narrated on Muhammad the hadith would always be classed as weak. Mm. And sometimes... And this is why sometimes you kind of have to look at your today actions and see 
where I'm heading to, is it going to contradict or is it going to affect myself in any way? And that's but where I'm a bit more cautious. But isn't the purpose of Islam and, and the whole purpose behind like what we believe in to, to, to trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness and for us to forgive each other as Muslims, isn't the whole purpose to not have your past define your future? No, no, 100%, 100%. But what I... But what I mean by that is not that the person is not forgiven. By the way, the person and the ulama, they say this because you can look in the books of Hadith. Mm -hmm. They'll say that this person could be the most righteous of people. But because of the mistake that trust in that specific department only, by the way. So they can take him as a witness. They can take him in many different ways. But in that specific department, they just wouldn't take it because it's hard to now differentiate between the mm. the scenario however no it doesn't determine anything i just believe some mistakes could be lifelong like for example mm. someone could and, and and this has happened and i know someone this has happened to when they were younger they were around the wrong friends mm -hmm. and that led to them being in prison now for life one mistake and if you look at the person right now completely different person you wouldn't even imagine this person was the person who he was however one mistake led to lifelong um a a lifelong you can say punishment. So the way I look at it for myself is, am I going to do anything in my business which could make my business become completely untrustworthy in the future? Like let's say now, um, there was even on the internet, I don't want to mention the person just because hopefully, alhamdulillah, they've repented and whatnot. But, and I'm very sure you're probably aware of this circumstance, but they used to do some charity work and whatnot. And then it basically found out this couple was, wasn't completely reliable. For them to ever come back on social media won't be accepted. Hopefully, alhamdulillah, they've repented, they've become better and whatnot. But certain mistakes would have rid them of their um, present, um, their presence in like social media. Trust, again. Like specifically the trust. Yeah. I think I think what you're really yes. fo focusing on and talking about is that like it's not an issue of whether whether the the sins are forgiven or not, but it's more about exactly. Like, it's more about like like forgive but don't forget kind of situation where it's like yes like uh, of in course certain like elements, want, though. in certain elements correct in certain elements in that in the sense that like if someone has been as you mentioned like if they broke the trust like you're probably not gonna again you're like yes you're forgiven but like we're probably not gonna you know put more money in your bank account um now that we, now that the past money has gone <laughs> right um exactly which, which makes total sense so i have a i'm curious about the you know, because when we talk about, and this is a, an interesting discussion that I love, I, I, I'm going to go back to the productivity in a second, but when we talk about, you know, your vision for your future and what you mentioned about who you are right now and who you want to be, I think every single person, including myself, we have this present day identity and we have this identity that we're trying to form into. But from many things that I've read and from you know, a lot of self-help books and, and, and things that I've, that I've seen and even experienced, it actually does more harm than good when we separate our present identity from who we, who we want to be. And instead, what we should be striving for, at least in my opinion, is to connect, try to connect those two identities as much as possible and say, instead of seeing this other person that I'm trying to become as outside of me and as not who I am right now, instead our focus should be, no, I am this person. And I, and then I, by believing that, then we are more likely to act accordingly. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Absolutely. So I say this to a lot of people and the way I would explain it, agreeing with your statement, by the way, um, in, in totality online, there's a bigger presence than ever. And what you do online 
can almost never be unseen and won't be seen by a hundred people, it will be seen by millions of people. So my identity connects in real life and in online it separates. It only mm -hmm. separates online because online you have to be a bit more careful with your um with with you with your character and your personality. I'll give you an example. I'm sure as you can probably see, I'm interested in my religion, alhamdulillah, and I'm not someone who's trying to be heedless regarding it. However, online, I do not show my Islamic presence too much. On the basis, I fear people will take me as an authority because people online don't know the difference between someone who's a scholar, a sheikh, or someone who's just Muslim and is just proud to be a Muslim. I, and I because of that... I hardly agree with that. Yes, go on, sorry. And, and, and I'll give you another example. Um, when I had... 300 followers i did a live with one sheikh may allah bless him and um we were speaking about productivity i said sheikh you're going to speak about productivity um in ramadan regarding the acts of ibadah i'm going to speak about the acts of uh, studying and just the matters that we do as human beings so how we can combine both i don't want to speak about the religion because i'm not qualified as of yet and you're more qualified and i'm qualified in this area and whatnot so we both agreed and it was clear that he was speaking about religion and I wasn't speaking about religion. After the call immediately or the after the live on Instagram, I got maybe five, six DMs and I got fiqh questions. How, brother, what is the best madhab? What is this? And I was thinking we wasn't even discussing this at all. But people immediately took me as an authority because I was connected to someone who was righteous or someone who appears to be or was a sheikh or, and is a sheikh. And I notice now the dangers of you just even doing small things. And I don't, I'm not now against um, expressing your religion. If you can handle the, um, if you can handle it. I don't know if I can handle it or not. So I don't want to put myself in between. So I said, let me just focus on my business because I know I can handle any question that comes from my business because I'm absolutely qualified here. And that's what I meant by maybe separate. But in real life, whoever knows me would know my ability in totality. People in real life, they know you for who you are online different story completely different story people know you for the small bits they see you why do you think that happens because i receive so i, I it, for me it's a different perspective so i will reference because you know the whole point of omarpreneur in the first place is that we want to help nurture muslim entrepreneurship and so everything that we do in business ties very closely to to our faith and so sometimes i will i will release reels where i will reference certain hadith to kind of help inspire uh, our audience or, or things that I think are relevant to entrepreneurs in general. And one thing that I've, that I receive often, a question that I receive often in the DMS, but I think alhamdulillah, those are the only questions that I receive are, is this business halal or haram? Or is this thing halal or haram? And even those questions, like my reply is always like, I am not a scholar. I, I, I do not want to bear responsibility for giving you that answer. I do not want to be held accountable for it. Like I am, please ask us like, this, I'm not qualified to answer this. We are, I am only an entrepreneur. Please reference the scholar for this question. Like that is literally my default reply every time. I never, never answer those questions. Even though I might personally have my opinion of the answer, I don't want to share it with you because you might have a different opinion or reference different madhab as you mentioned, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have to, I don't want to dive into it. So, so it's interesting because I get these DMs and I tell them, please reference the scholar, but why do you think I get them in the first place? Like why are people going on Instagram and DMing people, including myself, who evidently I have no I, no scholarly background. I'm just a, a Muslim business owner um, who wants to help other Muslim business owners. Why do you think that? Why do you think people are reaching out and and asking these type of questions versus referencing the people that actually have the knowledge? 
in my humble opinion, and I'm probably not entirely right, I can only judge by what's completely apparent because I'm not in their complete minds, but when you appear, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this, we should do our best to appear as righteous as possible because that is the closest thing to what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And even if you was a sinner, you shouldn't show off your sins. So I think maintaining an upright personality in your religion is very important, on top of which expressing your religion so people are more conf confident. And I think Omar Prono, just to mention, is a fantastic idea. It's making now Muslims realize and recognize you can actually start a business, which is not a common notion, but alhamdulillah, it's now becoming a growing notion of today, whereby a lot of um, Muslims are becoming entrepreneurs. And in your support of doing that, you must seem as upright as you can, since you're representing the religion. I think the issue is, is that people don't know how to differentiate. And it's probably due to a lack of studying between a layman and a scholar. However, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he narrates to us the hadith, and this is something which is common about the man who killed 99 people. And I'm very sure everyone and many people know the hadith. And I'm only going to mention just one point of it. He first went to a layman because he had a big beard and he looked like he was practicing he's in the masjid. Then he realized he's not someone who's knowledgeable. Then he went to the scholar. So from time that hadith of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was mentioned, you can tell this is probably going to be a recurring theme in the ummah that there will be people who do not know how to recognize between someone who's just trying to practice and is proud of their religion and someone who is actually verified. And those who are verified usually would be those who, sorry, those who recognize those who are verified are those who study. So right now, if I ask you, can you assess these 10 entrepreneurs and tell me which ones are a, a bit more advanced in what they're doing? You'd probably be able to recognize since you're in the entrepreneur field, you know how, you know what um, good revenue is or good profit margins, how long it should take you and whatnot. Someone who's now completely not um, in the entrepreneur field will see someone on Instagram and they're speaking about rich dad, poor dad, for example, something which is common today. They'll be like, oh, this person seems like they know what they're doing. Then they realize, oh, wait, he just quoted a book. But you won't know that until you're kind of in the field for a while. So I feel like that's what it is. It's just a bit of ignorance. And um, again, I think it's harmless. They are, it's, it's sincere, but it's challenging for the people who are bearing the burden. And it is at the end of the day, it's a burden, it's a big responsibility. And dealing with it is challenging. Hence, I try to um, differentiate and separate between it. Mm -hmm. Taking the conversation towards productivity, which is really what you focus on with your clients in my from my understanding uh this is really why people come to you and i'm sure they come to you for many reasons but i think one of the biggest ones is your productivity training what have you seen to be a core framework principle that that will that can sum up what being a productive individual really means for you specifically that's a uh... Again, that's a really good question. I'll summarize it in a definition and then give an example. Productivity is doing the right thing at the right time, at the right place, at an efficient rate. And now within that example, within that definition, there's many, many, um, there's many definitions within it. At the right time. And at the right time is quite explanatory. Um, self-explanatory um, you can say for example salah has a time frame so what's the right time to pray salah within the time frame um, uh, um, productivity is the right thing at the, um, sorry let's mention the right thing 
The right thing now depends on the person. So now the, the person, it goes from person to person. If now I'm an athlete, training eight, 10 hours a day is normal. That's my job, that's what I do. Now, if I'm now not an athlete, why am I training eight, 10 hours a day? I should be doing things related to whatever is directly related to me. Now, if, you're, if you have a particular religion, your religion may give you things to do on a daily basis, or it may give you things to do on a weekly basis, a yearly basis, and you would need to do things within those times. Now, that's one thing that may give you responsibility. Now, if you have a family and you're and and you have to provide for them, okay, now you need to find the means of income. This means of income may be education, then a means of income. That becomes now productive to me. So the right thing really is very subjective to each person. And this is where you may know what you need to do, or you may not. And this is where an expert will come in and they could help you, or you may just know for yourself because you know what you need to do. Now, at the right time, as I've told you, there'll be things which are done at a designated time. Generally speaking, it's more productive to sleep at night. And there are certain times of the night which are more productive than others. Um, at the right place. Now, certain things are more productive in certain places. Now, you can generally work out at home, but working out in the gym is a lot more productive. It's a lot more focused. Studying or working from home is, is efficient. But if you maybe create an office set up at home or somewhere in an office, you'd probably be a bit more productive than just laying on your bed. You can probably get the same work done, but probably more productively in a work environment. And each environment will have its um, enhancement. And that's an efficient rate means that you get the maximum output with the least amount of time. And essentially, when you combine all these four, it's a bit of a training process, just like gym is. You need to learn how to diet. You need to learn how to lift weights. You need to, same with business. You need to learn how to do your finances, hire people and everything. So productivity is just the same. And once you kind of learn that formula and implement it, then you're reaching a high level of productivity. Example of um, example of even place could be from country to country. Certain industries are more productive than others. If your sole focus is money, which I'm not saying is an issue at all, then certain industries you're going to go into it. So, like in the UK, being a doctor isn't that amazing due to the pay not being that high. But then maybe being uh, someone who does, uh, if you're a software engineer, you're getting a lot more money. An economist, you're getting a lot more money. But being a doctor doesn't make you that much money, so it's more productive to be um, those in, in uh, to be, uh, those to become an economist or a software engineer. So again, it just depends on many, many different factors, and that's how I'd kind of summarize productivity. What would you say is the biggest mistake that people are making right now when it comes to their beliefs around productivity? And, and their approach to it? Um, I think one is reading too many self-help books. And what I think this is, is this is called productive procrastination. You're so like, you know what, I'm, I'm in the studying phase. I need to keep reading self-help books to, to take action. I need to learn this. I need to learn that. You just need to, one, you need to take action. Uh, two is you're going online and looking for someone else's life and trying to live that life. No, you need to understand your life is very specific. This person's morning routine may be fantastic, but your morning routine may not be able to be the same because you have certain responsibilities in the way. You might live with family, which doesn't enable you to do certain things in the morning because you may cause noise or you may be loud. And you need to really adjust productivity to yourself. And I believe because people try to look at other people's life and try to copy it, that's where the problem's at. And you need to really understand what is productive for you. Like I have a client and they... And they have to look after their sister due to certain medications they're on. So maybe three to four hours a day is dedicated on their sister. 
So they was worried when they were speaking to me. They said, look, three, four hours of my day is wasted on my sister. I said, look, it's not wasted. It's actually productive. In your case, spending less time studying is more productive because you actually have a bigger responsibility to take care of. It just means when you do study, you just need to be as sharp minded as you can and make the most of it. But what someone now would think is, oh, I have to I have to now go get the shop in or I have to look after my family and they'll see it always oh, taking me away from my career. No, because part of being productive is looking after your family. Part of being productive is doing the grocery shopping and all of that is productive. And people only see what is going to make them their status and their money um, and their qualifications as productive. When really everything of life is productive if you make it productive by doing it at the right time, right place, um, at an efficient rate. Um, mm. And yeah, so that would be my perception. That's, really, that's a really interesting way of looking at things. I, uh, it's actually gotten me thinking a lot because because through this, uh, you know, you're you're mentioning this and. I'm very much someone who uh, who mentally beats himself up um, when I feel like I didn't accomplish enough in a day. Uh, I'm just very, and I think as entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs who are high performance and high achievers, uh, their inner self-talk is like very critical and very harsh, right? Because we're constantly like pushing ourselves to do more and achieve more. And this is something that I've actually, especially over the last year has, has very much impacted my mental health. And I've, and I've, needed to address it and alhamdulillah i have been able to i won't say that i've fully uh i fully found the solution in the in the perfect balance because it is a very thin balance to find uh but i will say that i have found it to be more important to address in my recent years as the business has continued to grow and and you sharing this information with me right now is making me realize that sometimes the things that take me away from my business and away from from the work that i want to do when justified and when they have th their own value within themselves are also considered productive. And that's a very interesting shift that I, I've never seen before. So thank you for that. You're totally welcome. Um, Alhamdulillah, again, for our religion, Islam has made productivity very easy for me. I'm very straightforward. And um, I generally think productivity is one of the m m biggest misunderstood things today. I generally think we're very... Um, we, we're very pro certain things and we're very anti other things. And um, I think the whole notion of productivity, again, is just jumbled up today. Um, and I'm not I, I, I'm, I'm not like completely against it because I understand certain parts of it. But Alhamdulillah, this religion come with productivity. This religion is productivity. And um, I remember we were speaking and I'll give this example because I think this is a really good example. I won't mention the Sheikh because I, I believe he may mention the story one day um, or not. Maybe Allahu Alam. But um, regardless, just um, just to hide him, inshallah, um, in case he would like to say the story from himself. But I was speaking to him. We was in Medina, and may Allah bless the Sheikh. I've only met him maybe once, but then we was in. I was in a gathering in Medina, and he recognized me. So he said, "Like I met him in a wedding in London, and then when I went to Medina, um, within the last few months, he he said, look, let's let me take you out for dinner.' He was studying in Medina, and he still is, mashallah. So he took me out, may Allah bless him, he paid for everything and we were sitting down and the conversation ended up being four or five hours and subhanAllah it was like a, an amazing conversation and I was like, he was telling me his story to being a student of knowledge and trying to seek knowledge and everything so he was in he was in a particular country because I feel like if I mention the country people recognize him because he's um, quite known so he was in this particular country seeking knowledge he's on a three-year course, he's about to finish this course 
it's an on-campus and you cannot miss, you'd have to have specific attendance. I think really high, maybe 90, 95% attendance, meaning you need to try and not get sick to the best of your ability, even though I'm very sure they will excuse you. But he's there studying and it's a very intense program because they're trying, he's, alhamdulillah, he's, he was finished up uh, Quran and I'm pretty sure he's done some Qiraat. Um, and he was really trying to just advance in his knowledge. So it was quite an intense program and because he was quite um, already elite in his um, field, alhamdulillah, he was trying to advance more. Now, towards the end of his program, after two and a half years, his mother got extremely sick and his mother really loves him. And he was very dutiful towards her. If he leaves, he doesn't get the qualification. No excuses, done. So he's now thinking, subhanAllah, like this qualification, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be an example for people. I'm going to be an aid for people. I'm going to be there for the people because of my knowledge. I'm going to be able to answer people. I'm going to go back to the UK. The people in the UK, not many of them understand the fiqh rulings, aqidah, Quran, tafsir. He's going to go back with this qualification and go teach in the masajid. But then at the same time, his mom is sick and she needs him immediately. And like immediately, he's made up his mind to leave. However, out of etiquette, he wanted to just go see his teacher's opinion. So he goes up to his teacher and he asks the teacher, what do you think I should do? Look. My mother really needs me, but I'm not going to be able to finish the course. The sheikh told him, if I see you in this country tomorrow, you're going to jail. And that wasn't a joke. He, he meant it. He said, because in this specific country, being a major sinner publicly, because now he would have admitted to a sin, because that is a major sin, not looking after your mom when she needs you to, we'd send you to prison for this. So he said, you leave and we'll send. And he said, we'll make you a rukhsa. We'll make you, um, we'll give you a special, um, we'll give you a special link. And you can, a concession, we'll give you a concession and we'll give you this link and you can watch the rest of the course online and you can be qualified. So he made the right decision and Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala found a way for him to complete this qualification. And inshallah, he'll be finishing it very soon. So this is something which is very recent. So maybe in the last couple of months, hopefully he'll finish it sometime this year. Now, when he went back to the UK, he said, he said, many people criticized him. He said, your dream is knowledge. Your dream is this, your dream is that. He said, no. My whole purpose of living is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is what we're created for. So he said, for me to go seek knowledge is counterproductive because what's more productive is looking after my mother because what does what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more? Is it is it being dutiful to my mum or is it seeking knowledge? So when you look at both, they're both very productive. But then what one pleases Allah more is which one is more productive. And again, this is where your metric comes in and this is where productivity differentiates between people. If your whole purpose of life is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you'll always find a way to utilize what you have to do that, whether it's Ummah Prana. Ummah Prana could be a way of reviving the Muslim Ummah and its finances and its um, confidence in people. And then you'll know how much time does Ummah Prana need? And then how much time does my family need? How much time does my religion need? And he knew basically how to differentiate between all of these things. And this is what productivity is, is understanding your responsibilities and what is more productive and many people go through this even from a secular point of view many people neglect friends family and then they become rich in their careers 50 60 old and they're like if only i had maybe some family with me i would have preferred family than the extra 30k that took me away from my family i was happy on 70k with a family then 30k took me away from my family so really was the 30k more productive or the family time and I'm really going into like in depth the productivity. But as you can see, it's like a very deep science. 
and making them small decisions make a big, big difference in your life. And I, yeah, so yeah. I was just gonna say, man, I, I really appreciate everything that you just shared here because it's a completely new way to kind of look at productivity specifically. And it really is impactful when I when I listen to this and I listen to just how you perceive it. Now, when you when you when you talk to your clients or work with your clients, do you feel like this approach that you share with them, and then how to really define for themselves? Because I think the challenge there for people is like, okay, I understand the concept, but then for me specifically, what can I define as productive, and how do I find the balance between someone that's unmotivated and you know thinks they're being productive because they're working on something else, but and they think it's valuable, but it's not. Like it's, again, I, it's, I know it's a very, very difficult question. Probably very situational. But have you found that to be a challenge where you need to help your clients find that middle line and that balance, or has that been has that been okay? Okay, um, I want to address the word balance. I believe you're probably intending it in the correct way, but I want to still address it because I think Please. people do have the misunderstanding of it. So I'm assuming when you mean by balance, the right proportions of everything, right? Correct. Balance, generally speaking, and this is the problem today, we want to balance everything. To balance something means to equate, which means it's the same value. And this is a massive problem of today. And this is why I believe is another problem of productivity. What happens right now, if I value my degree or I value my business as much as I value my mother, when both of them clash, which at times they may, I won't know who to choose. And whatever one I choose, I'll be disappointed. Whereas I know, for example, and this is the example I usually give because it's, I think it's almost an example everyone can admit to and re relate to. You're a father, you're a mother, and you have a, one of the biggest important meetings of your life. You get a phone call, your, your spouse is in the hospital, your child's in the hospital, they need you immediately. You have the biggest meeting in your life, but you're going to go to your son or your spouse. You're going to go immediately rush to the hospital because it may be the last time you see them and they need you you're never going to look back at that meeting and be like, oh, if only I went to that meeting. That will never cross your mind because you knew that satisfied you because that's what meant to you more. Once you get to that level of, and again, this is not balanced right now, once you know how to prioritize everything, you begin to never feel bad leaving your work to go to your family or leaving your family to go to work because you know how to prioritize everything in a manner which satisfies you and not in a manner which is... And I remember hearing this from, I think, Jim Ron, and he was saying majority of people, when they go to work, they think about their family when they go when they're with their family they think about work and this is because of lack of prioritization you don't know how to do things in a manner which will fulfill you therefore when you're with or at the task you're dealing with whether it's sleeping eating drinking leisure time family business work studying you're never really satisfied because you're always thinking of the other thing you could be doing and you don't know how to equate everything sorry you don't know how to prioritize everything in a manner which is healthy and healthy is different to each person. Some people are happy working 16 hours a day, seeing their family a couple of hours a day and sleeping for four hours. I have no problem with that. If you're happy with that and that's what satisfies you, it just comes down to what would fulfill each individual. I saw that you recently posted on Instagram a reel where you were actually gaming. 
And and I thought that was really cool to be honest with you. A productivity <laughs> coach sharing a reel where they were gaming. And you know what's funny is I had a friend recently. Well, I had a friend. He is a friend. Currently a friend. Um, who I haven't had a console in my house. I think for the last seven or eight years. I, I haven't had a console, played with a console. And I've just kept... Uh, growing up, gaming was always like very much a love of mine. And um, there came a point in my life where I had to let it go because I, I just needed to focus on other things. And I felt like I was sinking too much time into it. And I went without a console for years. I really held out for a long time. But my friend recently got a PS5 and he's like, Abby, just take this PS4, bro. Like, we'll play occasionally uh, in the evenings. We'll just be online. I'm like, ah, well, <laughs> you're going to give it to me. It's really hard to say no. <laughs> so, all right, fine, I'll take it. So I, so I took the PS4 and it's really funny. Um, like I, I actually like last night I finished work, finished work on like eight, nine. And then I'm like, okay, you know, what? I'm going to play like for an hour or two. And obviously I played for like maybe two hours and a half, little snuck in a little extra 30 minutes and then went to bed. Um, but you know, then I saw your reel and I was like, okay, okay, cool. It's like, how do we, because we're talking about, you know, prioritizing we talk about like assigning a, a value to every activity, but some activities don't have value. Something like gaming where it, it does, the innate value is not in, oh, I, this this is a bigger priority than this other thing. It's like, oh, the innate value in this is I enjoy this and this is just good for me mentally or just a way to kind of unwind. So how do you how do you factor that into the routine and, and, and into your schedule? Amazing, amazing question. So again, I, and, and I say this because it really it is what it is. Everyone's situation is very different. Now, like, let's say right now I'm speaking to someone who now, now has unbelievable amount of responsibility. I may now not advise them to game just because gaming can go over um, over the top at times. So, But that person, if they go over the top, it could risk certain things of their responsibilities. But I actually encourage gaming over using social media, over using the phones. And in fact, gaming, depending on how you game, is really healthy. In fact, in my case, and I didn't notice this until maybe after lockdown, it kept me and my cousins so close. I say cousins, really, really close friends, like unbelievable. In fact, it revived our friendship because it's the only time we don't see each other just because we all like to be on our houses and just do our own things. And even gaming for me growing up kind of kept me away from, because in London, um, especially Southeast London is where I'm from. There's a lot of gang members. There's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of dumb stuff going on and immature things going on. I didn't even... I wasn't interested in partying or anything, just simply because I was so hooked to gaming. However, I was hooked to gaming, and I didn't only realize later on in my life that kind of protected me from it. However, I wasted a lot of time on it, but I saw the benefit from it. Kind of like the course, it wasn't beneficial, but I took something from it, similar with gaming. Now, as of a productive thing, I think it's really good for socializing, especially when you're an entrepreneur. Because when you're an entrepreneur, you're most likely in an office, which is probably your home or near your home, and you're finishing work late. The last thing you want to do is at nine, is go travel 30, 40 minutes to go to see your friend, speak to them for two, three hours. I can just turn on the console, put on my headset, and it feels like you're right in front of me. And we're enjoying something. We're working towards something together. Now, it depends on the game, how fun it is. I personally play Warzone, but it doesn't matter really what game. But I think the way you connect with people is really strong on it. But it can be toxic if you're not productive because then you're just going to spend all your time on it. I feel like when you're very busy, you still can't get distracted because you know, oh, wait, I have a meeting at six. I know I can't really go beyond one. And you know you can't push it because the next morning you're extremely busy so overall i would say it's a really good hobby if you know how to utilize it and benefit from it um and again each circumstance would differentiate between person to person mm -hmm. is it important for every person to find that activity 
outside of work and everything else that just kind of refills their cup, quote unquote, uh, in, in, in regards to, to being productive or as productive as possible. Extremely. One of my classes I teach is called the 10 productivity concepts. One of the concepts I have in there is, is how you rest affects how you are productive or how productive you'll be in your productive time. And it doesn't mean that your rest isn't productive. But what I mean by productive time is quite clear is your work time. And the example I go back to is there was a study. Um, I, it was, I was doing sociology. This is probably the only thing I remember of sociology because um, I quit the class when I was younger and I moved to business. But was the study that they, how they mentioned what, what makes the working class and the middle class, what differentiates them between the education? Because it's interesting. Um, they both go, if they're both in the same school, maybe similar environment, what differentiates why they get different grades? Why is it a lot of the working class people, they don't, not many of them have outstanding grades like the middle class. So they looked into, they done a lot of research and they basically concluded that when the work, middle class go home, they'll do maybe a bit of revision, but their parents give them attention. They, they, they would play, they would have funds, they'd have hobbies. They maybe even have after school clubs. The working class went home. And because the working class, their parents don't have nine to fives, they're working in um, hours whereby the kids will be home and they don't get that attention. They probably can't um, afford as much clubs as maybe the middle class. And because the kids didn't feel like they rested when they went home and it was more so a bit boring, when they went to class, they would mess around and use that as a playground, whereas the middle class would actually focus in the class. So relating that to our productivity is if now I'm off work, I really need to find something which makes me feel relaxed. So when I go back to work, I don't feel like I still need to relax. And another good example, another analogy you could use is two people can sleep for eight hours, even 10 hours. One person has got very good quality sleep, wakes up and feels refreshed. The other person wakes up and still feels like they need to sleep. One person got quality sleep. The other person maybe haven't, is suffering maybe from insomnia, maybe did certain things before they went to bed, which can ruin your sleep, such as going on your phone right before you go to bed um, and other things. And you both did the same thing, but one did it in a more productive manner and was fulfilled and the other person wasn't. Therefore, one is now moody and upset throughout the day. The other one is refreshed. So I'd, hobbies can be anything. Whatever makes you feel refreshed is extremely important and you have to find it. And many, many of my clients, what they do is, in fact, I think all of them go through this phase and I'm starting to notice a pattern. They feel very, very productive. Um, they feel very productive and then they start increasing their productivity and forget about their hobbies. And then they go back to feeling a bit unproductive because they're like, they feel like they're almost in a burnout and the burnout is usually because they're not resting enough. And another thing is a lot of people, and, I, and this is one of my interview questions, what is it that you do in your spare time and what is what are your hobbies? Someone's hobbies are going to be gaming, football, um, sports, going up my friend's restaurant. And then what do you do in your spare time? Oh, I scroll on social media. That's like having bad sleep. Yeah. You're not going to feel fulfilled from it. And when you now advise them to their hobbies, subhanAllah, the feedback you get is, I feel, I feel um, amazing now. I feel relaxed. I feel calm. You know what? I haven't caught up with my family in a while. The family time feels so much better. I really despise my phone because a lot of the time our phone is very convenient. It's always next to us. We always need it. And it's convenient. I would say convenient, distractive leisure. And that there is, is just a catastrophe within it, within itself. So yeah, hobbies are extremely important. For sure. 
appreciate you sharing that, brother. What can people do to connect with you and, and work with you in a closer capacity? Where should we tell them to go? Okay, so you can DM me on my Instagram and I do my best to reply to all DMs. Only recently I realized some people message you and the DMs don't actually show up. So you can DM me or email me. Many people now email me now. So try to, if you don't reach me out on my DMs, because I'll be quicker, a lot quicker on DMs, then try to email me and everything is on my Instagram profile. So you'll be able to see um, everything there and you'll be able to uh, catch me there. Inshallah. Is there, is there a link that we can... Uh that we can give to them as well for them to go and kind of sign up to or check out? Do you have a website or something that we should tell them I, to go check out? Yeah, so I do have a website and at the moment it's under construction, but you'd still be able to see my website at the moment. And the main thing right now, I guess, is conversing with me. I try to, I, I do my best to try to keep everything as simple as possible. Regarding my industry, the best way to describe it is I'm, I'm, I'm like a, I'm like a doctor for productivity. A doctor doesn't go out and tell people you're sick. People come to them and tell them, oh, I'm sick. Yeah. So my marketing is very minimal and it's just to show that I exist. So if you need me, I'm there. And I am trying to increase my marketing, but in a way, again, whereby I don't need to show up in people's faces and because of my particular industry. You can't sell someone a cure to something when they're not sick in the first place. Yeah. So in my particular industries, it's a bit different. So the best way to contact me is via DM. Check my website out if you need any more information. However, have a conversation with me. I'm more than willing to uh, speak to anyone who's interested, inshallah. Um, and yeah. Awesome. So if you're listening in, check out Instagram.com slash productivity athlete. You can also just search in the kind of search bar or whatever it's called an Instagram productivity athlete. And you will see uh, his Instagram, inshallah, Abdullah's Instagram day by day. That's the company name. So go ahead and check that out. And we'll drop the link in the description as well. If you're listening on audio platforms, we'll make sure to have the link there in the Spotify, Apple podcast description, wherever you're listening to, inshallah. Abdullah, Jazakallah khair for joining me today. This was an absolute pleasure to have this conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I appreciated your time. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate the pure conversation the time that you've given me and um, may Allah put barakah in your business and please keep doing what you're doing. Um, it's amazing to see, mashallah. And uh, thank you again for your time. Thank but, you yeah. so much, man. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.